All right. Hello. My name is Caroline M. Um, Caroline, there's so many Carolines. I think Caroline M. will be easier to find me. Uh, I'm a very grateful alcoholic, and I am thrilled to be here. Hi, Caroline. Hi, thank you, Jenny. Thank you, James. Thank you, Mom. My sister's here. Thank you, too. Thank you to everyone who is here that gets to co-create this night um, together. <sighs> so, in thinking about what I might talk about tonight, um, I was thinking a lot about my adventures before and after. And, um, and I was reminded that in this program, yes, there are adventures drinking and then our adventures not drinking. More for me, it was about adventures in self-reliance and then adventures in God-reliance. In this 12-step ladder that took me from self-reliance, from the, the bridge of reason to God-reliance and the desired shore of faith. As my mom mentioned, I came into this world really, like, I, for me, I thought, what could be a more important thing to understand than God? Like, if God is, like, shouldn't that be, like, wouldn't that give me a competitive edge? <laughs> um, so I did. I, pers I mean, I really tried to learn everything I could that there was to know about God. Let me... Master God, I studied comparative religion in college, not just the one God, many gods, all the gods, I gotta know, just in case. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I could not stop drinking. I, I mean, I was a street preacher. <laughs> um, I had the 4 a.m. shift. <laughs> <laughs> In Manhattan. <laughs> I, I, I paid people to listen. So anyways. But the point is, is I was so good at talking. I mean, I really can talk about God. I love God. I, I had so... My understanding of God today isn't that different from my understanding of God in my adventures in self-reliance. My understanding of God uh, couldn't keep me sober, though. I, I did not know how to rely on God. I knew how to talk about God. I knew how to think about God. I knew how to talk. I thought I knew how to talk to God. I knew how to write papers about God. Um, I didn't know how to rely on God. And I didn't know that. In all of my studies, in every every book, every everything I've read, every wise sage I've talked to, everything I've been exposed to, the only thing that taught me how to get to God were the twelve steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, and so I could not be more grateful to be able to be here now. Uh, getting to talk about uh, my adventures going up the ladder, the 12-step ladder to God-reliance. Um, and I'm hoping to do that in God-reliance and not get too, too caught up 
and how I sound. So we'll, we'll see. Um, so my uh, my adventure on this twelve step ladder to reliance started on September fifth, two thousand seven. Let me say this also. The reason I'm so excited about the uh, journey, again, from self-reliance to God-reliance, from, from the bridge of reason to the desire shore of faith, to this rocket ride to a fourth dimension of existence of which we had never even dreamed. The reason I love to talk about that, especially to someone who's new or potentially still in the, the self-reliant adventures, is because... I couldn't sincerely, I couldn't say for sure, I desperately want to be sober forever. Especially because sobriety was my least favorite state. <laughs> uh, sobriety got me drunk every day. <laughs> I couldn't, people would say, you gotta chase sobriety like you chase a dream. Are you sure? <laughs> I mean, I run from sobriety to a dream. Like I, I, um, not, I would go. I went to a treatment center once, and they would bring in a speaker who'd say, "If you don't get it together, if you don't quit drinking, you're going to end up like me in prison." And I think I've seen in movies they've got like pooch in prison, like a situation in prison. And my deep, dark secret, and I really mean this, people people question me on this, I, I really mean it. I would have rather been drinking in prison than not drinking on the outside. That's how uncomfortable sobriety is for me. And they would say, well, you'll end up homeless on the streets. And I think, I've seen homeless in the streets. Brown, I mean, they have access to alcohol. <laughs> I envy the homeless people on the street who have had a brown bag in their hands. I've envied them. That's how uncomfortable sobriety is for me. So, again, I'm thrilled to, like, over and by. The other thing is, is I have this idea of AA. <laughs> I really thought, just because of who I am and what my experience was, I thought in AA, we all came together and collectively mourned the loss of alcohol. I really <laughs> All of us secretly, what we had in common is all of us were dying for a drink. we kill for a drink and just get it. <laughs> One day at a time. <laughs> and 365 days later, you get a chip. <laughs> what an idea. <laughs> that, is, that is actually my personal, like, you cannot scare me sober because that is my greatest fear. Dying for a drink and just not letting myself take one is truly my personal health. Mm -hmm. So I was terrified. I mean, I really thought the worst thing that could happen to a person is you lose your drinking privileges. And I tried hard to keep them. <laughs> Especially after the second treatment center. I thought, all right, you have got to get it together. Uh, shockingly, I couldn't. 
So again, over and over again tonight, especially if someone here is new or curious about what we're doing here, it's so much better than that old idea that I just described. We didn't, um, having gotten sober as the result of the steps, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps. So this, this, this story that I'm telling tonight is really the story of the adventure of my rocket ride to this fourth dimension of existence of which I had never even dreamed but chased in a bottle harder than anyone's ever chased anything and found on this rocket, found in the spiritual awakening. It's, it, it's, it's a much different one day at a time than I saw on TV. Um, I also was concerned about Alcoholics Anonymous because you all seem to be people who stopped drinking and I couldn't stop drinking. So where do I go? It felt like there are people for whom drinking is a problem and sobriety is therefore the solution. And I kept getting diagnosed. And I was thinking about this. I don't know if... if outside people were diagnosing me with this internally because I, didn't, I couldn't see it another way. It felt like I kept getting diagnosed with a drinking problem and so the solution is stop drinking. <coughs> Which to me felt like being in a car that wouldn't start and people saying, oh, just start it. <laughs> <laughs> you have to want it to start. Oh, <laughs> think of all the places you will go if you just start your problem. <laughs> I was really, I mean, I'll go and get a master's degree in engine mechanics to figure out how to start this car, and it's meaning nothing. And meanwhile, the world is driving by me effortlessly. They're not trying at all. I am, it, it is so bizarre. It looks like I'm not trying because my car's not starting. But I assure you, I was trying infinitely harder than anyone just driving by. And so AA came along with great news, because again, I thought, I thought in AA what we did is gather and just pushed each other's cars. <laughs> no, AA came along and said, oh, our car wouldn't start either. What we found is sometimes there's just no gas in the tank. So rather than 12 mythical steps to starting a car, here's 12 steps to a gas station. The thing about it is that the only thing, and this is so, this is really, a, this is really true, the only thing keeping me from the gas station is me trying to start the car myself. It is the only thing keeping me from getting to that gas station. It is the only thing blocking me from this power source is me trying to do it myself. And trying in virtue, virtuously trying, not stupidly trying, not not a stubbornly trying, really doing what I think the assignment is, which is just to try harder. And, it's, and so I have so much empathy and compassion for anyone who's been in the shoes that I was in where I really thought the assignment was just try harder. And everyone who walks into a, anywhere, a treatment center, a doctor's office, even an AA meeting and are told just don't drink, 
one day at a time, and they think, oh, okay. <laughs> Even one day at a time, the car's not starting. <laughs> I remember one of my like early meetings, and it was a meeting like this, about this size, and the speaker um, was, I think, maybe some fancy fellow, and, and um, he told this story of his first day sober, his first meeting. He went to the same meeting, he got a sponsor, left the meeting, went to the liquor store, got whatever he got, was walking down the street, this is in New York, walking down the street with his brown bag of liquor, and he twists the cap, and he's just about to take a sip, when all of a sudden a car pulls up next to him, and he's a sponsor, and his sponsor has a gun, and he says, put that down. <laughs> and so he put it down and never drank again. <laughs> I thought, I better get my sponsor a gun. <laughs> realized, or then I remembered that I am not sure what I would have done in that situation. Honest to God, with a gun pointed at me, it's really 50-50. <laughs> and I for sure know what would have happened after he drove away. So what do I do? What is, what is the solution for the person whose problem isn't alcohol, whose problem instead is can't stop drinking alcohol? And please don't tell me sobriety is my solution when sobriety is in fact my trigger. <laughs> so good news though, I mean, so again, let me come back to the good news. <laughs> There is a solution. <laughs> um, what happened for me was on my, the night before I went to my first meeting, I, uh, all right, I'll try and just tell it real quick. So I was going to this other fellowship because I had a bunch of other things that I knew were a problem. And in that other fellowship, they were like, you probably need to stop drinking if you're going to go through the steps. And I was like, that feels like discrimination. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. So I was, going, I was going to this meeting, and then I would go to the bar. And so I went to the bar, where this was, again was in New York, and I went to Murphy's, cause, and, um, and I was too crowded to meet people. So then I went to Jameson's to order a Jameson. I don't know. So romantic. And so then I um, I remember I took a step of the Jamesons and I thought, oh, I don't even uh, let me finish it real quick. And, then, and I thought disregard, disregard, disregard. And and then I thought, you know, uh, and I was living with my partner at the time who was a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is Tough. <laughs> that, that's a tough housemate. 
you know there's two doors. The one that's locked and then the one that opens. The one that opens right next door to the one that's locked. <laughs> so, from my perspective, it seemed like there was a power that was big enough not to lock the door, but even bigger, big enough to mess with my head. <laughs> Which again, had never been done before. My head was so powerful, it outsmarts me. Like, there's no match for my thinking. And God had overpowered my thinking. In a way, the other thing is, again, this is 53rd and 2nd in Manhattan, if anyone's familiar, it's Irish Pub Row, right next door to Jameson's, the Schmitty's, and Ahulahan's, and Murray. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like that was my only option. But for one night, it was. For one night, my brain didn't even see all of the options. I had been saved from the alcoholic torture of the devil angel duking it out in front of every bar. I had been saved uh, the alcoholic torture of knowing I shouldn't drink, but I can't not, and it's right there, and what I did. I had been saved from that. For one night, I had been saved from that. For one night, the decision had been made for me. And I thought, I had been exposed to AA before, so I knew that there was like a God thing happening here. And I'd heard slogans like, let go and let God. And, so, and, it's, and it was very fuzzy, but there was this little, there was this little, like a centimeter wide of clarity where I, I sort of sensed that maybe it was possible that God, that, that God wouldn't keep all the bars locked, but that God would actually do this for me. That it actually maybe could be done for me. Maybe there is a reality where I, where drinking actually becomes a non-issue, where I don't have to battle it out in my mind every hour. And so, I ran on foot to an AA meeting to find this book and to find someone who could tell me how, not how to not drink, because again, I was not really sold on that yet. That was very scary. I wanted someone to tell me how to access more this power that had done the impossible. I was so afraid. Of, it's not that I was afraid of drinking again. I was afraid of wanting to drink again. That nightmare of knowing better and not being able to do better. And the best I can do is drink quick enough so my conscience doesn't catch up to me. So I was racing the clock again not to stop myself from drinking. I was racing the clock to get to God before my brain started going again. And I got this book, and because I, I just, I, I had this sense that that was, that was the thing being offered. I got this book, and literally, I, not because I'm good, I'm not. This, this talk tonight is not about the wonder of me, I assure you. This talk really is about the wonder of this program and this power that does this unfathomable thing for us. And so I, I got this book and literally opened, okay, title page, it's not there. Okay, other books, okay, not there. Story of Henry Kate, 
I mean, I didn't want to miss it. Uh, I, I so sincerely was driven by desperation and fear and hope. I got a sponsor. Um, here's what I learned. I learned that the reason that I could not access this God that I was mastering understanding of. The reason I could not access that God was because I could not stop playing God for a second. Not even a second. Even in prayer, dear God, we're going to need to work on me. I don't care if her attitude, fix it. Dear God, I'm going to need more money. You know what I mean? Like, um, I hadn't stopped playing God once. Even my efforts, my virtuous efforts to stop myself from drinking were an act of playing God. Virtuously, I tried to play God. I mean, again, this isn't the story of a, a bad person who became a good person. This is the story of a woman who was so driven by a hundred forms of fear and self-pity that the best I could do was the best I could do until I was shown this other way on the desire short of faith. So what that looked like for me, again, because I had this, this much, I had this big of a window of willingness. Um, and I was told, I did, I did everything I was told. And, uh, and I was told a lot of things that weren't necessarily in the book. Like I was told 90 meetings in 90 days, and it's not in the book. But I was told to do 90 meetings in 90 days, and I was so desperate that I did 90 meetings in 90 days. The cool thing was, is that meant for me, for 90 days, I had the opportunity to, uh, Realize, oh shoot, not today. I've got this deadline. Ah, shoot, maybe I can do two tomorrow. Maybe I can do tomorrow. Yeah, maybe three on Wednesday. Oh, God, I Maybe I don't have to tell Alice that she's not my master. You know, like all And then, and then, practice going from the bridge of reason to the desire of our faith. Let me, I, I think. The assignment is to go to a meeting today, so let me give God the benefit of the doubt and see what happens. And I got to do that for 90 days in a row. For 90 days in a row, I was taught little baby steps on how to get from the rigid reasons to the desired shore of faith. And giving God the benefit of the doubt is no joke. God does not make too hard a terms for those who earnestly seek. And it doesn't have to be like a 40-day meditation fast to be an earnest seeking. It can be as simple as, I have no idea how it's going to be okay if I go to this meeting right now. Let me just go to this meeting right now and find out. And amazing things happened. Like, I had this one deadline I couldn't, I had this deadline was so important. And it wasn't just a deadline for me, I had a writing partner, it was his deadline too. It would be selfish to go to a meeting and miss this deadline. I can't make my sobriety better than his income. Hey, bridge of reason, can't go to the desired short faith. Let me just go and see what happens. 
Then I come out of the meeting to a text that says the deadline's been moved today. So, you know what I mean? Just little things like that. Little things that, that for me, especially on day eight, weren't little. That was huge. That was common sense becoming uncommon sense. Going against my reason is revolutionary and drastic because I've been relying on my reason forever with no breaks. It is painful and horrible that we have these minds, this mental obsession that Step one, we're powerless over alcohol. We're, our, our bodies were physically allergic, so we've lost the power of control over the amount. When I take a sip of alcohol, I have no say in how much I'm going to drink. I awaken a phenomenon of craving. This is not an allergy to alcohol. It's an allergy to alcohol. It's not a metaphor. It's an actual diagnosed thing. Whether I pray that day or not, when I take a sip of alcohol, I awaken a craving for more. When I walk into poison ivy, I break out into a rush. Twelve steps later, it's just my physical lie. Different from poison ivy, though, I have a mind that literally won't let me walk away from alcohol. My mind insists. My mind is like someone hardwired into my mind. Like a GPS, someone hardwired into my GPS, alcohol. And any step I'm not going to alcohol, my GPS says, all right, rerouting, 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 rerouting. I say, no, I'm going to a meeting. And my mind says, that's fine, rerouting, rerouting, rerouting. We're going to alcohol, Caroline, take all the time you need. But you know that's where we're going. So my adventures before, no matter where I was, what I was doing, who I was with, my adventures before consisted of this. Are we going to drink now? We're not going to drink now. Should I bring a little? I bring a little. 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 I b
how are we to how are we to learn how to how are we to access this power? We have to quit playing this power. So playing this power is is relying on my reason. Every day waking up, running late, and thinking, oh, I'm gonna get fired. Playing God. I probably ought to call my boss and tell him there was a car accident. He won't believe me, he never does. I need to find a Google image. <laughs> Should I send it to the whole company? Because you know they're talking about me. In fact, they probably won't even believe that. They never believe me. I quit. And that's, that's six seconds on awakening. And it's being rocketed into this fourth dimension, getting from, essentially, again, my adventures before looked like this, my adventures after looked like me sitting on this rocket into a fourth dimension. <laughs> the thing about this rocket, though, is that there's just a passenger seat. Every instinct in me, when I get on, is like, where's the co-pilot? Should I go up to the front? <laughs> Will I be navigator? Or, you know, what's my role? And the secret handshake of the rocket is that there's just the passenger seat. And so when we make this decision in step three to turn our life and our will over to the care of this power, we're essentially agreeing to sit as a passenger on a rocket with no idea where it's going in blind faith. I have no idea what's going to happen when I call my boss to say I just overslept. I have no idea. I think I know, but I really I have no idea what's going to happen. And every time I tell the truth, I am... Stepping from the bridge of reason to the desire shore of faith. <clears throat> and as I build that muscle, I find myself on this rocket. And it's, and it's so amazing. The, when I think back to my first year of sobriety, every time, again, I cannot emphasize this enough, at least my experience was, God does not make too hard of terms for those who earnestly seek, and that was 100% my experience, especially my first year where I was um, so curious. What will happen then? I think back to um, let's talk about the bondage itself. I'm not known for like my linear thinking, so sorry. Um, that um, monologue I just did about my mornings, um, finding the Google image, that um, that's also referred to as the bondage of self. Playing God is the bondage of self. Knowing what you're thinking and knowing what to do to fix what you're thinking so you'll tell her and she'll feel this way. And why is he looking at me? Let me do this. I'll make you a sandwich. Where's my background? Oh, now I can't talk to you. Stop. That's it. Just all the plates is the bondage of self. I'm not in the bondage of alcohol. I did not take a 12-step ladder out of the bondage of alcohol. I took a 12-step ladder out of the bondage of self. The bondage of self is like a migraine that only alcohol can fix. 
Alcohol in my adventures before was my remedy, was my relief from this bondage of self. Get fired from a job, I'm a job, I'm panicked, I'm gonna be homeless and die, let me take a drink. Oh my god, I have the best idea. <laughs> oh my god, I, I'm worried that I loathe my partner. And they just said, oh, totally right. All, all, um, all of my difficulties are solved. Alcohol, <laughs> alcohol, up until now, has freed me from the bondage itself. And if I wasn't allergic to it, there wouldn't be a problem. I could still rely on alcohol to relieve me from the bondage itself. Many people do, and they're fine. Mm-hmm. I just, it's, I'm allergic. So when I take a sip for relief from the bondage itself, it, um, it doesn't stop there. It, in fact, bizarrely goes to where I'm now drunker than I ever wanted to be while reaching for more alcohol. Wishing I was less drunk, reaching for more alcohol. Drinking against my own will. If that wasn't the case, if I could call my numbers, I wouldn't, we wouldn't be gathered today. So, so the idea isn't I need to learn how to not drink. The idea is I need relief from this migraine. I need to let, if I leave a treatment center and I've learned everything there is to learn about everything there is to learn, That's all well and good, but if I leave with a migraine, I'm still doomed. People in meetings and and, and detoxes and places that I go and talk about, like I'll give the the analogy of my poison ivy allergy. And I'll say, you know what, I touch poison ivy, Greg Atten Hines, the solution is don't touch poison ivy, it's fine. With alcohol, I take a sip of alcohol, I break out in craving, the solution is don't drink alcohol. So why, why am I so crazy about alcohol? I mean, imagine if I just jumped into poison ivy everywhere I turned. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, it's not the same because alcohol makes you feel good. And I understand that argument. Except for us, the reason it makes us feel good is the same reason that Tylenol makes someone with a migraine feel good. Alcohol is a medicinal feeling good for me. I, I thought I just really liked to party and I really liked to have a good time. I was why my friends weren't still going, why on Monday morning before school we weren't still drinking, why I had that same feeling we had on Saturday. We can have it on Monday too, it's not cool. <laughs> and they were like, nah, I'll see you go to algebra. <laughs> just the way God made me. <laughs> like, I, I couldn't understand it. it. It did not occur to me that alcohol felt so good to me because it was relieving an ailment. And the ailment was existing. <laughs> the ailment was the bondage of self. So getting on this rocket as a passenger, I get free from the bondage of self. Not being in the pilot seat frees me from the bondage of self. It's so amazing. I keep wanting to say, I keep thinking at the end. I mean, that's, I, what else more could there be to say about it? But let me tell you. <laughs> so, um, so I, I make that decision, that third step decision, which I initially thought from other meetings, I've been to for detoxes and detoxes, I thought in the third step you just swore to God you never were going to drink again. I really thought step three, swear to God you're never going to drink again. Nope. Step three, make a decision to not drink. Nope. 
make a decision to turn my life and my will over to the care of God. Whether drinking's involved or not, actually, right. making a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. Hey, but how do we do that? First things first, we have to quit playing God. Hey, how do we do that? Well, let's look in the fourth step, how you play God. I was shocked. <laughs> I was, I truly was shocked. I mean, I think a lot of us, maybe all of us are shocked because I really, you know, my mom might say differently, my sister might say differently, but if I came into AA, I think I was like super nice. (laughs) Really a doormat if really there was going to be like an issue. (laughs) I had no idea that every breath I took was steaming. Every breath was steaming. And usually I figured out a good scheme was be nice. And then, clever. Like that was my clever scheme. I had no idea how to let a person be who they were because I so badly needed them to play the role I assigned. I had no idea. The thing was, is it was a fine role. It was in their best interest to play this role. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a criminal. I was just um, working with a woman and looking at four step stuff. So we've got the first column, super easy. Who am I mad at? What am I mad at? Second column, what they did, super easy. Couldn't wait for Allison to read this. (laughs) Third column, what is it a fact? Not super interested in that, just kind of a check the box. And then a fourth column, my mistakes. I found out that I, I had no relationships anywhere. I had transactions. I had the most important column, this third column of these instincts, where it was handed over to you, and if you didn't do right by them, I couldn't sleep. That was was the summation of all of my relationships. I I had never even gotten to know a person for who they were, and again, please understand, I was so nice about it. I had this relationship where uh, I was engaged with this woman who was sober, and um, and she left me, and I was so mad, and I mean I was disturbed. It did not occur to me. So let's say she 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 left me, doesn't love me, would literally rather be in a room without me than with me. That hurts. Third column affects everything. It affects my self-esteem, my ambitions, my um, my personal relations, my security. Because what I remembered is that I was 100% using this person for an apartment, for self-esteem, for my ambitions. How I know that is because when she left, so did they. <laughs> I had no idea. Uh, this this isn't it's this isn't a group of people to are scattered. It's a group of people who have learned how to quell their fears. I am so afraid I'm not going to be taken care of. This is what I think I can do to ensure that I am. 
I wasn't trying to hurt or use this person. It's just I didn't know any better. It didn't even occur to me. And to find that out, it was devastating to some degree, but it was actually the best news I ever... It's good to find out what the bondage looks like because there is a way out of that. If the root of my suffering is her leaving, I'm screwed. What can I do? She left. I can't get her back. I'm sure I tried. (laughs) So I'm just doomed to toss and turn for the rest of my life? I, I cannot be at the mercy of other people's behavior. And as it turns out, I'm not. It's such good news. The more we have in that fourth column, the better, because that's what we have power over. That's what we get to get free over. I'm actually, as it turns out, not suffering because she left. I'm suffering because of what's in the fourth column. I'm suffering from my using her. I'm suffering because I tried to play God and she thwarted it. <laughs> it's, it, it, yeah. it's so lucky. So then we, for it, then we go to our sponsor and we confide in them all the stuff that we have written out. And the book says, on the other side of that, we thank God from the bottom of our heart that we now know God better. So, I guess I maybe misspoke earlier when I said my understanding of God wasn't that different than it is now. It's radically different. For all the words I can string together, I didn't know God because I hadn't experienced God. You can kind of look at a rocket or imagine a rocket, but you don't know the rocket until you get on the rocket. I had been too afraid to get on the rocket and I didn't know how. So let me just again thank Alcoholics Anonymous for creating this literal step-by-step on how to get onto this rocket. I want to sort of skip now to um, the coolest thing that happened to me in sobriety, which was um, I lost my job, and um, and at the same time, this fellow who I couldn't understand, he was from Algeria, I could never understand him, called me. And because I'm on this desired shore of faith now, I just say yes. And so he calls and says something I don't understand in in a faithful way. I say, okay, sure. And then I get a call from this girl that I'm sponsoring saying, congratulations, I hear that you're now in charge of all of H&I for New York. Oh, my gosh. What does that mean? She said, oh, you know, you just make sure that um, there's a meeting at all the hospitals and institutions and classes and prisons in all of New York. <laughs> Do you know how many detoxes <laughs> and hospitals and institutions and prisons are in New York? So many. For every um, for every bar, there's a place. <laughs> and this really cool thing happened where I I grew up in a world of AA where the twelfth step was kind of optional. The truth is, I grew up in a world of AA where the steps were optional. Like, I even said to my home group at one point, maybe we should get some books. And they said, why? This is a beginner's meeting. You know what I mean? Because this idea that first things first, stop drinking. Then, 
Like, if, maybe if you're not working, read this. This is extra credit. <laughs> but don't get too showy about it. That, that's kind of the world that I grew up in. It was... So it was hard to get people to take meetings. So I had to. And, um, and again, I'd lost my job, so I had the time. And so like two, sometimes three times a day, um, I was carrying this message. And I didn't even really, I'll be honest, I didn't really even understand the message until I started carrying it. Um, for like the first 10 meetings, I thought it really was just about um, keeping these sad people entertained for an hour, just distracting them. You know, I, it, it still hadn't all computed. And then this really powerful thing happened where I started seeing the same faces, like I'd leave, you know, Metropolitan, and then a week later I'd be at Beth Israel, and the guy from Metropolitan is not Beth Israel, and he's not doing better. And, and I started to um, actually care about what it was that I was transmitting. I mean, really care. I had gotten really good at repeating very wise things I had heard. And even quoting pages in the book. But I hadn't yet told my story of how I couldn't stop drinking. And now a year's gone by and I haven't had a drink. <clears throat> no, I'm sorry. Now a year's gone by and I haven't even wanted a drink. And so then I started telling that story. And I was really shocked to find out that it was actually what's in the book. It is the story that is in this book. I thought I was like talking out of school by telling them the truth. <laughs> the truth is actually in this book. It's a book of truth. It, it was unbelievable. And so then I was like on fire about it. Then, um, that's actually when my ninth step promises came true. I, I of course did not wish to shut the door on the past. It was helping people. The truth, my truth, the, my, the truth of my experience, as flawed as it seems, as weird as it seems, as inappropriate as it seemed, the truth was actually helping people. And you could not stop me from getting to a meeting. I remember there was this huge storm one night, and my, my sober partner was like, you can't go out in this. Because again, I didn't have a job, so I wasn't taking cabs. I didn't even have a metro card. I had a bike. You can't go out on this. It's, it's, you're going you're gonna to die. And I was like, right. And then without any, not because the good of me, but something had changed where inside my heart and inside my mind, my next thought was, but if I don't go, they might not hear this message. I got to go. Not because my sponsor made me, and not because I'm good, but because my roots grasped new soil. I had had an official cycle change. 
my self-centeredness had been destroyed. I had been revolutionized. And now, again, without any prompting from anyone, even against people's advice, I couldn't stop myself from getting on my bike and going to this treatment center to make sure that if nothing else, these people heard this message at least once. It was, I, I think, looking back, it was maybe like the, the happiest, most joyous free two years of my entire life. I was completely free from self-centeredness, which as it turns out was the root of my suffering. Freed from self-centeredness, I was freed from the bondage of self. And so alcohol became a non-issue, just like you couldn't push Tylenol on me right now. I don't have a headache. No, thank you. Now what are we gonna do? That's, that's the kind of non-issue alcohol became for me. The migraine was removed. So, oh no, thank you. It's unimaginable. To be neutral about alcohol is unimaginable. Fortunately, you don't have to imagine it to make it true, to make it so. Imagining is kind of on the bridge of reason. It's really leaping into this unknown. And I'm not a miracle, I'm a statistic. I'm just a walking evidence of, a, of promises. I will say this. It's not like a college degree, so I'm now forever more free. Things have come up in my life where, for example, when my fiance left, I was like, oh, pilot, on the rocket, we lost someone, we need to turn around. And God was like, no, actually, this is going to be a solo ride for a minute. And I was like, mm, I disagree, I'll see you in a minute. <laughs> I'll be right back. <laughs> is fine. Self-reliance is fine. It's not bad. It does mean, though, that the self I'm relying on is centered in this mind is a GPS that is hardwired to take me to alcohol. On the plant, on the rocket, there's a whole God GPS. Oh, so nice. <laughs> on the rocket, it's fine. It's not bad. But it does mean I'm now at the mercy of my GPS. And it was maybe this is, so for five, six years, happier, more joyful, freer than anyone you've ever met, ever. I was on fire and so happy. And and circuit speaking and doing the deal and carrying the message and so I jump off the rocket for I think maybe 20 days later. I decided, you know what, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't go to a meeting, I have to find a new Beyonce. I mean, I don't know, what else can I do? And so, match.com, match.com, they No, I have to, I'm sorry, I have to, I have to, I have to go meet this person. I, I will go go to a meeting by And I'm sitting, I'm sitting on this date. 
with this woman. Again, it, I'm, I'm, I'm with this GPS. And all of a sudden I think, this girl's the worst. Maybe I'm the worst. You know what? That whiskey that she's drinking, if I drank it, I probably wouldn't be the worst. How selfish is it that I'm going to sit here and be the worst rather than just take a drink and not be the worst? What, just because of my day count? That's selfish and prideful. That's not what God wants. That's the root of self-centeredness. Sit here sober midday. <laughs> God doesn't remove the allergy. God is everything, but God can't remove the allergy. And probably only someone with enormous faith would have the courage to try. <laughs> when I find out God does remove the allergy, I'll start a new 12-step fellowship, and people will actually do the steps, because on the other side, you can drink. And it was... <laughs> It wasn't, there was no one to call because it wasn't a problem thought. It was my, it was my clearest thought. It was so, it was like God whispered it into my ear. It was like a revelation, you see. How can I defend myself against that? So again, it's not about good, bad, right, wrong. I wasn't a bad drinking person and now I'm good so I don't drink. I was a self-reliant person who doomed to drink because of the GPS I was born with. And I took 12 steps to a God-reliant rocket ride to a fourth dimension of existence of which I've never dreamed where God's GPS is total... <sighs> the good news is... No, the bad news is... This GPS, in my experience, is always waiting for me. It never gets tired. It does not forget what's been programmed into it. In self-reliance, I am at the mercy of, of this GPS. It's just the way it is. It is alarmingly patient. Oh, you're gonna have a spiritual awakening? Okay, great. Rerouting, rerouting. It's just waiting. As patient as this rocket, I have not jumped off so many times that it's given up on me. I have not gotten so far away from it that it is not literally a moment right now available to me. It is always available to me. Things that keep me from it are things, self-reliant tools like shame, guilt, remorse, Even today, I, I spent the last, <laughs> truly, I spent about, I don't know, maybe 48 hours leading up to this, thinking I shouldn't be up there speaking. I, I made this mistake, um, and that's bad, and I'm bad, and probably this old idea, like I, I, I'd gotten off the plane into my own head, and I was thinking, you know what, and then probably what I'm going to find out is God agrees it's so bad that I'm going to totally bomb in front of 500 people. That'll show me. I should be shown. The worst. I mean, like that for 48 hours, and then on my way here, I thought, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, God is right now. 
There is no shame on the rocket. There is no mistake I can make that God can't wait to use to show off how big God is. The end. <laughs> <laughs>